coming to you from Michigan, USA, and listened to by people all over the planet. Get ready to be safe and sound with Sean Sparkman. Sparkman. Never take your eyes off your opponent, even when you buy. Welcome to the Safe and Sound Podcast. This is your host, Sean Sparkman. I am excited to be bringing you today a very interesting individual out of Oakland County, Michigan. He is the Senior Communications Manager for the Road Commission for Oakland County. His name is Craig. Craig, thank you very much for joining me on the show today. Thanks, Sean. It's an honor to be here. Awesome. Well, why don't you tell people a little bit about who you are and what you do? Sure. So I'm the uh, the head of uh, public relations, essentially, for what is, for those people not familiar with it, the, the largest county road commission in the state of Michigan. We oversee the largest county road system in the state, second largest county population-wise in the state, largest county as far as uh, economic activity in the state. So I, I consider there to be kind of five prongs to my, to my job, and uh, first being to educate the public about what we do, why we do it, how we do it, and how it might impact them. I also uh, educate the public about how we use the the public funding that we get, the tax dollars that we get, generate uh, transparency about what we do, how we do it, why we do it, that kind of thing. I also do internal communications, which is kind of a different animal where I'm providing information to our employees and, and to our retirees. Then I do sort of reputation brand management, and finally provide counsel to our executives and our board members on public speaking, anything they have to do that's kind of public-facing, provide those uh, that kind of counseling to them. Well, Craig, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to make a joke here because it's probably a shorter list of what you don't do, <laughs> I bet. I mean, that's a really cool and unique position to be in, especially, you know, during this year, I imagine. How is the year of uh, COVID-19 affected your job and the road commission and how things have been? Yeah, that's a great question. It's, it's certainly been an interesting year. We have continued to work. The way we do things has changed. Most of us have continued to come in. Um, probably about 60, 70% of our office staff has continued to come in. We've had where we can. We've allowed people to work from home. Um, but probably more critically is the, the workers who are out on the road um, we initially broke our, our, um, our road worker staff into two groups so that they would not all be in the office or in the, in the garage at the same time and had them work uh, three days on, three days off, and then back on a day and then on call for a day. Um, and that allowed us to, to keep them further apart, keep them spaced out. Um, we allowed some people such as uh, road construction inspectors to simply from home to the road construction job site. Yeah, obviously, road construction has continued, uh, so we have to continue to do what we do. We also have to continue to maintain the roads. You know, we, we one of the things we do is make sure that people like doctors and nurses can get to the hospitals to to treat the COVID patients and you know do all the other important things they do. So we kind of see ourselves, and and actually the law recognizes us as um, sort of like first responders. So it's 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 been challenging. It's been interesting. We've been fortunate in that we have not had very much direct um, COVID cases at the road commission. We've had a couple of, of individuals. Uh, fortunately, they've been they've recovered. They've 
you know, gone home, quarantined. Um, we had one, I think, that was in the hospital. He's recovered. Um, but other than that, we've practiced very strict uh, social distancing, mask wearing, um, you know, hand washing, all of the usual protocols. And, and fortunately, our, our contractors, the, the road construction companies, the, uh, the smaller contractors have all uh, been willing to work, and they've been doing a great job. We had a couple at the, at the early part that um, were a little reluctant, but after a couple of weeks they came in. They've, you know, we've been trying to make sure they all social distance. We've asked the public to stay away from all of the road workers while they're working. And uh, in, in that respect, it's been an almost normal year as far as road construction. We've gotten, you know, the work done that needs to be done. We've still got some projects going, of course, but um, they've they've done what they needed to do. So we're, could, we're could you say that road construction's actually been a little bit easier this year because there's not really been very many people on the road? That that is true. That is true, especially for the uh, the first half of the year. Uh, in the spring, there was you know significantly less traffic. I mean, traffic has picked up a little more now, but in the spring that was that was a big help. Um, and you know, while we usually get tons of complaints if we close a road because traffic is is obviously diverted, we had very few um, comments complaints about roads being closed this year. So that that was certainly nice. The downside of that, though, and and you may have heard about this, is that even though there were fewer cars on the road, we've actually seen more more crashes, more people um, apparently driving recklessly, and we've had surprisingly um, a higher number than normal of our employees or our contractors' employees uh, getting hit by cars. And, and you know, tragically, there was a a road worker in Macomb County killed a couple weeks ago. So it's um, a surprising side effect of the lighter traffic. People seem to be more willing to sort of drive faster or maybe recklessly because there are fewer cars on the road. Right, and that's uh, a terrible thing, especially with the, the road workers getting in, injured or killed. And I didn't know that you guys were considered first responders, but it, it makes a lot of sense because, I mean, especially if you're a listener and you're not from Michigan, if you're from Michigan, you know what I'm talking about. But if you're not from Michigan, the, the state of our roads is not always the best. We have some pretty harsh winters, and you could say there's some budgeting issues. You could probably talk more about that than I can because I don't really get that <laughs> deep into it. But yep. uh, the reality is our, our roads do need you guys. So thank you for doing that job during what, what is a very important time. Well, thank you. And, and I tell you, if you talk to, you know, what we consider kind of our first-line workers, the people that drive the, the snow plows and the salt trucks in the winter, you know, they really see themselves that way. They're making the roads safe for everybody else to get to work and for, you know, ambulances to take people to the hospital and, you know, school buses to, to take kids to school and all those things. And they, they very much see themselves that way. And I think that's part of what makes the job rewarding for them. It's a, there's a real, you know, public service, you know, public good element of that, that part of the job for them. So what is it about the road commission that you guys do and that you want to get out and communicate to people? Cause you did mention earlier that part of your job is, you know, helping people to see what it is that you guys are doing and communicate that to the public. So what is it that I don't know to ask that I should be asking right now? Well, that's a great question. And a couple of things. I mean, on, on a sort of a micro level, there's all of the, the road work that we're doing. And this is, a you know, the daily challenge to get out. Okay, today we're paving this road or, you know, this road is closed today because of water main break and, you know, that kind of thing. So that's a constant challenge. But that's you know, the micro, the, on, on a more of a macro level, you know, one of the, I think road funding is probably one of the least understood things, at least in Michigan, 
Um, you know, people just don't understand where our money comes from. They don't understand, you know, how much we get and how much we need. And, and, and you know, really, why would you unless, you know, you, the road in front of your house is falling apart. Most people don't really have time to think about the minutia of, of where the money comes from to maintain and build the roads. Sure. And the problem the problem that we've had in Michigan, and, and I'm sure other states feel this to some extent too, but, um, you know, on a, on a hard numbers basis, Michigan – has been among the bottom states in the nation for 50 years in in the amount of per capita money we put into roads. And so, you know, our roads are in bad shape. They're falling apart. And we're struggling every day just to try to keep, you know, the potholes patched and the, and the roads open, as anybody who drives in Michigan, I'm, I'm sure, is, is familiar with. And that is a challenge because, you know, we ha- we have some great engineers. We have some great financial people. We have some great lawyers. And, you know, and all these people are highly respected in their field, but because we haven't had enough resources, our roads are bad. And people, you know, look at us and say, well, we must be incompetent or we must not ha- know what kind of concrete mixes to use. You know, Ohio must be doing a better job because they must know how to how to build roads better than we do because their roads are in better shape. What they don't understand or don't maybe know is that Ohio has been investing a billion dollars a year more in their roads since at least 2005 for a roughly comparable road system. And, wow, you know, at that's the a big the, difference. At the end of the day, it is, it is. And you get what you pay for, you know, so it's, there, there's no magic bullet. They're not, you know, they're not building roads better than we are or differently even than we are. They're not using different materials. Um, you know, we're not less efficient as in terms of overhead or, you know, that kind of thing. It's It unfortunately comes down to money. Wow. So in, in your opinion, how would we solve that issue? Well, and that's that's a real challenge because it's a, it's a political challenge. Nobody wants to make, pay more taxes. You know, I certainly don't want to. Um, and the legislature has struggled mightily with that issue for decades. Uh, in 2015, the, the Michigan legislature did finally raise road funding, though at the time they acknowledged it, it wasn't enough. And it's certainly helping, but you know, at some point you have to raise some tax. And there you know, no matter which tax it is you're looking at, there's a constituency who is opposed to raising that tax. You know, or you take money from somewhere else. And as much as, you know, we like to poke fun at the government and you know and government spending, if you look at the state budget of the discretionary spending, the discretionary funding that the state government has, there really isn't that much that they can take. And if they take it, it's coming from Either prisons or state police or schools, you know, basically are the big categories where the state legislature really has discretion. And, you know, each one of those areas has a very strong, very loud constituency that says, you know, we need more money, not less, just like roads. So it's it's a really tough conundrum. And, and I feel for the legislators who, you know, go to Lansing, the state capitol, wanting to do something really good and get there and find out that there really isn't money to do a lot of the things they hope to do. And that the only real solution is to go back to their constituents and say, you know, I'm really sorry, but what we have to do is raise your taxes. You know, and that, that doesn't uh, help to get a lot of people reelected, unfortunately. Yeah, not not very many people want to pay more in taxes. That is no. uh, that is the truth. There's very few that would love to do that. <laughs> but But if you look at Michigan compared to every other state in the nation, you know, in the in terms of roads, we've been paying less taxes than most states pay to maintain their roads. 
Um, like I said, we've been in the bottom nine states in the nation in per capita state and local spending on roads since at least 1964. And, you know, that is why our road system is inferior to, to that in most other states. Um, well, well I'm, I'm no expert on, you know, state budgets or anything of that nature, but I do notice when I drive through other states, because I like to drive, my wife and I do, when we go on trips or when I go on business trips, I prefer to drive than fly. I just like to explore. And I noticed that a lot of states, Ohio included, West Virginia, and I, I mean, I could keep going, that they have toll roads. And yeah. as far as I know, because I've driven almost everywhere in Michigan, we don't have any toll roads. No, and th and that's a perpetual topic that people bring up. I mean, it, it is conceivable that, you know, we could impose tolls on some of our roads, uh, but it's one of those things that everybody likes the concept in the abstract. They don't like it when it's on the road they drive. So you could put it, for example, on I-94, um, which is one of the few pass-through roads in Michigan. And part of the problem with Michigan is the, it's a peninsula state. You know, most people driving in Michigan are not driving – across the country like they are in Ohio. You know, you've got the huge east-west traffic flow going through the middle of Ohio to get from coast to coast. Um, generally, right. except for I-94, we don't really have that in Michigan. You know, I-75 I going north is pretty much people going to the tourism industry, which is the third largest industry in the state. So you, you tell the tourism industry you want to make it a little more difficult for people to go up and spend money on the, the tourist areas in the state, and, you know, and they, they, you know, scream. Um, but you could theoretically put a toll on I-94, but in metropolitan areas like metropolitan Detroit and, you know, the west side of the state, um, a lot of people commute to work on I-94. So you tell them, you know, we're going to charge you every day going to work to drive on I-94, and, and again, people are going to be not happy with that. Yeah, I mean, it is tough. I never thought about the fact that we are a peninsula state, so we don't get the pass-through traffic like most of the other states that, you know, I usually drive to that have a, a toll road. So. That's an interesting right. subject. And, and as I mentioned, the, the tourism is literally the third largest industry in the state behind agriculture and manufacturing. And, you know, understandably, when you tell people in Traverse City, for example, that, you know, you're going to put a toll on I-75 and make it a little bit less, you know, enticing for people to drive from Metro Detroit or some, somewhere south up to go visit all the tourism locations in Traverse City, they're not happy. <laughs> And that, because it's a large industry, they have a lot of sway in Lansing. They have a lot of uh, lobbyists that are effective at getting that message across to the legislature. Well, that makes sense. Well, let's switch gears just a little bit, Craig, because I'm very interested in your background. When you were growing up as a little boy, did you see yourself as a communications manager for a road commission? <laughs> no, I didn't. However, I've always – writing and um, – Words and, and literature have always been a huge interest of mine, and that kind of drew me. And I started out in the field of journalism, actually. My undergraduate degree is in journalism. So I spent a lot of time as a newspaper reporter and then as a newspaper editor. So I did – I always um, had a great interest in, you know, the written word. And that kind of pulled me, in, at least in this direction, not necessarily into road communications or government public relations, but it, it moved me in that direction. I always find that to be an interesting question, like how did you end up where you are? Because, because you know, none of us grow grow up as a little kid, and you know, I never saw myself as being a financial advisor, financial planner, and or any of that. You know, I, I wanted to be a, a fighter pilot. <laughs> but but the ro the road you take to get where you are is always interesting. So you know, you started off as a journalist, 
and I, I'm sure you had big aspirations of, you know, sticking with that field. So what took you from being a newspaper reporter all the way through to where you are now? Well, what's that story look like? That's a great question. And uh, several things, but not the least of them was um, I could see, and this is back in the um, 80s and early 90s, I could see the writing on the wall that the, that the, the print journalism business, and it's only exacerbated since then, is, is unfortunately a dying field. I mean, there are a fraction of the number of newspapers in existence today as there were you know, 20 or 30 years ago, including the one where I spent the most time, which is now long gone. Um, it's just, it's no longer the viable industry. There's far fewer jobs. There's far less opportunity. Those jobs pay less money. Um, and, and, you know, people get their news in different ways now. I mean, the, the growth of, uh, obviously the internet, but social media in particular has, has really, um, changed the, the media landscape. Um, and it's kind of interesting in the job I have now, I still work a lot with the media. And while there are still many other ways to communicate, you know, mass media, you know, such as it exists today, is still the best way to reach the most people the most quickly with the least effort. So if we need to get word out about a road closure and we get you know the, the TV news stations to report on that, we can reach you know a huge portion of our audience much more quickly than than um, simply posting it on Facebook. You know, while that does reach a lot of people, it's nowhere near. You know, we reach you know millions of people literally if we get all the TV stations and all the daily newspapers to cover the 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 information. So. I saw that the industry was changing, and you know I saw it changing pretty fast. So, in the early '90s, um, I started looking, you know, at my skill set and you know whether opportunities are out there. And you know, public relations is sort of viewed as the dark side by journalists. It's you know it's taking sort of the same skills and using them for sort of promotional or, or uh, um, other purposes than just simply sharing information. <laughs> There's kind of a uh, a little bit <laughs> so, of a so you're uh, on the dark side now? <laughs> exactly, exactly. So I, I um, actually got into my my first move from journalism to public relations was was into government public relations, and then I subsequently got into corporate communications and back into government relations. But I went to work for the uh, the city of Detroit, which was a really an interesting um, experience. And at the time, the city of Detroit had a very large public relations department that was very active and it was a really a great learning experience to really learn how to transfer those skills from journalism to you know public relations and and what what year was this 1993 i believe i i started working for the city the end of the the coleman young administration and then and then into the uh, dennis archer administration yeah i bet that was an interesting time to work for the city it was it really was i mean you know, from from a communications point of view, it was a really interesting challenge because you know the city um, was struggling to try to um, entice people to to live in the city and to stay in the city and to and to um, enhance the city. Uh, and from a public relations point of view, that's a, that's a great challenge. And um, they did have some great programs and and trying to share those programs with with the the both the business community and the residential community was. It was actually a really cool challenge. Um, unfortunately, the city had lots of budgetary problems that made it not the most uh, personally financially viable opportunity, but it was a good learning experience. Um, interesting place to work. Well, I bet. And so, what you know, what did you take the most from your time working for the city of Detroit in the nineties? 
Wow, that's a great question. Um, I think I, I I learned the most how to work on the other side of the media. You know, I came from being the media, knowing how to research um, stories, interview people, find sources, track them down, you know, fact check, that kind of thing. But being on the um, government side, I learned how to then, how to get the media to work with you to tell the story that you want to be told. You know, how do you how do you identify a story that both conveys the information that you want to get out to your target audience and is appealing to the media as a story that they want to tell and to get them to to make it the story they want to tell. And it's, you know, it's really about relationships. It's kind of, you know, like like any other area of business, it's a lot about building and maintaining relationships and getting getting to know people and have them getting to know you. Um, and it's really a much more personal business than you might think about, you know, that aspect of public relations. And that's really one of the things I really like about public relations is it, it is relationships, relationship building, relationship maintaining, and, and, you know, working with people as opposed to, you know, confrontationally or something like that. I love that you brought up the relationship aspect because it comes up so much on my show and just throughout life because, like you said, it is about relationships at the end of the day, and it doesn't really matter what business you're in. I mean, you could be you know, an IT guy sitting in an office, but at the end of the day, my wife, she works in IT, and I see how much she communicates all day, every single day. And you have to absolutely. have those strong personal relationships. And Oh, that's, that's absolutely true. Yeah, and I think that it's really the key to success in life is your relationships. And if you've ever listened to my show before, you've probably heard me say this because it, it yeah. really is, I think, a foundation. And so many successful people say the same thing because no matter how much money you make, fame you get, whatever it might be, you never have it all and you can never have it all without having those relationships. Absolutely. And and you you cannot accomplish your you know, I think in, in not only in my profession, but in really just about any profession, you cannot accomplish your professional goals unless you have those relationships with other people, whether it's partnering with people, whether it's, you know, mutually beneficial projects, whether it's being mentored or being a mentor to somebody, you know, whether it's knowing who to call and, and having that person be willing to, to pick up the phone when you call, you know, I mean, it's uh, you cannot succeed, I don't think, in any profession without an ability to not only um, establish those relationships, but then to maintain them. And that's that's part of, I think, the trick of, of public relations is, you know, anybody can, can get lucky and get the media to cover a story once. But if you want to stay in your profession, you know, especially if you're in a particular region, you know, or if you're in an, on a national level, and I've done that in the past too, I've done national public relations, you know, you need to know the people that cover that and you need to be able to have them be willing to listen to you when you have an idea, you know, and if they're just you're not willing to even take your call or hang up on you, then you know, you've accomplished nothing. And that, I think that's true of every every form of business that, that I can think of. So what would you say is probably the number one piece of advice that you could give somebody or maybe even your younger self, go back in time and, and, <laughs> and say to young Craig, like, hey, this is what you need to understand to build these relationships with people. Boy, that's a great question. Um, you know, you you can be, and, and I guess this is where, looking back at my career, I, I was always very interested in making sure that I could do the technical part of my work. And I was always interested in the human part too, but I, 
I think maybe focused a little bit much on the technical, but being a good writer, a good reporter, a good researcher, um, good at um, you know website uh, content creation, those things are great. They're they're you know some of the tools you need. But as we just talked, without those human relations, without being able to know who to call and being able to get that person to sort of open up with you about what you need to learn and being able to to you know. I don't want to say this in a negative light, but persuasion is a huge skill. I mean, in everything we do, we at some point you need to persuade somebody to listen to your perspective or do what you want or convey the message that you want. And those skills, those soft skills that um, they perhaps don't teach in journalism school or in some cases maybe, maybe to a lesser degree in business school, those soft skills are so critical to, to what I do every day that I would say, you know, do everything you can. You know, work the social situations. Get comfortable being in social situations. And, you know, the other stuff, you know, are, are skills that you can learn. It's the social development that you, you've got to be able to, to have and pursue. I love it. And it kind of comes down to just being a, a transparent, you know, radically real person so that people know who you are. At least that's my experience. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, there's also some of the, you know, the whole Dale Carnegie thing in there, too. You know, you need to know, you need to understand a little bit about, you know, human nature and, you know, not that you have to be a psychologist, but understand a little bit about psychology, I think. And, and you know, the, the sort of the quid pro quo of, you know, the art of conversation, you know, I mean, those those things really do matter. And, and I, I kind of go back to, uh, I, I think it was George W. Bush who said something like the, the C students rule the world because, they have they not only learn the academic prep, they develop the social skills while they're in college or school. You know, they, they can organize the parties that George W. Bush did, you know, and, and by doing that he learned how to work with people. And, you know, without those skills, you know, in IT or in finance or in public relations, if you're a master of the tech the, the technique, but you don't have those human skills, you're not gonna succeed. Right. I absolutely love that. And I want to switch gears just a little bit. It's kind of similar to what we've been talking about, but there's a couple of questions I ask everybody that come on the show. And the first one I want to ask you is something that you've failed at. But before you answer, I just want to preface it. And the reason I'm asking about failures, because I think it's the key to success. You can't have it in any part of your life without failing because we all fail. We're not perfect. Absolutely. And that's just, that's just reality. So can you talk a little bit about something that you've failed at and how you've come through it? Absolutely. And and just to reiterate what you just said, I I, I absolutely think the things I failed at have been, you know, the keys to whatever success I've had later because they taught me what I did wrong and, and what you need to do. And and I can think of a couple of examples where I I, I immediately after the fact realized that I had failed and why and what you know, what to do differently the next time. And, and, you know, in public relations, one of one of the things that we sometimes do is press conferences where you invite the media to come to you and you, you know, share a story with them, maybe show them something. Um, and there are ways to do that. One of the things you do is you send out a media advisory to all the media. It says, you know, come here to this location, this date and time. We're going to be talking about this topic. And, you know, and depending on, on what field you're in, the topics can be somewhat dry and your job is to try to make them exciting. Um, and when I first started out, I thought, okay, you know, I, 
I've been a reporter. I've received those invitations. So, you know, I'll just send the invitations out to the reporters and they'll show up. So I plan a press conference. I get, you know, in, in this case, some some dignitaries to, to be on hand, some, you know, some um, visuals as a backdrop, and, you know, and, and, you know, get there, get everything ready, get, a you know, information ready to hand out, and then you wait. And unfortunately, if you don't do it right, the media doesn't come. And I, and I had that happen where I, you know, and I, it was, it was. It must be an interesting to, feeling. Yeah, I was gonna say that must be an interesting feeling when you get everything right. put together and nobody shows up. Exactly, and you're looking at your watch, thinking, okay, any minute now somebody's gonna come. And what I learned is that you can't just send an invitation out and hope people get it. You've got to. And this is, I'll give you the specific tasks that I needed to do, but I think that the lesson is broader: is that you've got to. You got to cross all the I's, you got to dot all the T's, you got to know what you're doing. And what I didn't do is I didn't get on the phone and call those reporters and say, "Hey, this is a really exciting thing. I think you might really find something worthwhile if you came here today." And, you know, and and again, have that human relationship with the people. Um, and since that time, I've never had a press conference where I didn't have media attend because I've always followed up with the media and called them up and said, you know, "Hey." This is here's why this might be interesting to you. Here's what's in it for you, you know, and and um, doing those extra steps that make it successful. And I tell you, you know, it's it's a hard way to learn a lesson when you fail. But you know, I thought to myself that day, I never want to be in a position where I've got a city official taking time away from his busy job, standing here, you know, with me looking stupid, with nobody here to ask him questions. <laughs> right. So, yeah. So you make sure that's that doesn't funny. happen again. But that that's uh, you know that's a, that's a great learning experience, as as painful as it is at the time. So let's talk about the flip side then. So obviously you've come through that, but let's talk about whatever you want. It could be personal, it could be professional. But what's something that you consider to be one of your greatest successes? That's a great question. Um, boy, I, I would have to say, and it, it seems kind of commonplace now, but I would have to say getting the road commission for Oakland County involved in and I think now pretty darn good at social media. And I go back 10 <laughs> years and we were not involved in social media. And I went to my boss one day and I said, you know, if you look at the numbers for Facebook, we we need to be there. You know, and, and I... And what I didn't do initially is I didn't do all my homework. I had I had an idea of why we should be there, but I didn't bring my boss the hard data on why we should be there. And he said, why would we want to be on social media? People are going to say, why are you wasting taxpayer dollars, you know, spending time on Facebook? You know, go back <laughs> to your office. <laughs> right. So yeah. I thought about it and I said, well, I know I'm right. I know there's something here. So I did a bunch more research and I came up with the numbers of people we're on Facebook, and, you know, and it's even then it was growing exponentially. And the statistics that, you know, even at the time, I think 50% of people said they get their news on a daily basis from social media rather than from traditional media. Um, you know, and a bunch of statistics like that, the fastest growing age group is, you know, adults over 50 at the time or something like that, you know, and, and just a lot of these facts and figures. And I put them all together in a, in a sheet and I went back to my boss and I said, I know you already you know, thought about this, but I'm going to ask you to think about it again. And here's why. And I laid it out for him. And I said, you know, we've got to be on social media. People are getting their information, and we want people to know about our road projects. We want people to know, 
you know, the, the background about our funding situation. The way we do that is go where they are, and we've got to be on social media. And after, you know, going through that with him and, and some back and forth, he said, okay, I'm going to let you do this. If you fail, it's on you. If it works good, you know, power to the road commission. <laughs> so, so, so we did it, and you know, and since then we've been we've been growing, you know, I think dramatically in social media. And now we have you know a pretty significant presence on Facebook, Twitter, uh, Instagram, YouTube, um, and it's it's a big part of how we communicate with the people we serve and the people who you know provide the tax dollars that we use. And I really do think, you know, had we not done that then, we would have really been behind the eight ball and, you know, it would have taken us a long time to catch up. And it's it's a, you know, it's not the only thing we do as far as communicating with the public we serve, but it's a, a good and important and a necessary way to get information to the people, you know, who pay our salaries. Right. Uh, and it's a, it's a very interesting thing to see any type of government agency on social media because, it is. you know, it it, 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 yeah, you know, it's not what it was originally created for, but every medium can be appropriated to do other things. And so, you know, what is it that's special about the government and in this case, the road commission being on social media as opposed to the regular media sources? Well, and we do that too, but you know, the fact that, you know, Again, getting back to the whole question of journalism, you know, when I when I started at the Road Commission, there were more than 30 weekly newspapers covering Oakland County, a county of 1.2 million people. Today, there are probably six weekly newspapers. You know, those those papers just went away. People are no longer getting their information from those sources. There are still, you know, daily newspapers, but they're much smaller than they were. There's far fewer reporters. There's just people don't get their information from traditional media, especially print media, like they once did. So what are they doing? They're they're on Facebook or you know, Twitter, um, and a lot of them are learning things about you know the world around them from social media the way they once did um, from traditional media. So you know we we have to be there. We have to be sharing our story, but it's also kind of interesting because social media is a weird thing, right? It's not like the traditional media where you just tell a story and, you know, the who, what, where, when, why, and how. You got it with social media. You have to attract an audience and then you have to keep them. And you do that not just by being consistently present with good content. You have to be a little bit entertaining. So um, we've we've become a little bit better at being sort of less formal government, you know, PR types and, and a little bit more informal, a little bit more poking fun at ourselves and, you know, and kind of laughing a little bit <laughs> about what we do. And that keeps, you know, people appreciate that and it, and it keeps them coming back. And, you know, it's not just, okay, you're learning that we're fixing this road today. You know, you're, you're learning, you know, about something else about us, you know, that, uh, you know, engineers are, are, uh, don't have much of a sense of humor sometimes or something like that, you know, that we we're poking fun at ourselves. So it, it's a good way to, again, build that relationship with the public, this time through social media, but then keep them interested in what we do and who we are by being human and, and, and by being, you know, a little bit self-deprecating or, or you know. Just transparent, think, right? Humorous. Yeah, exactly. We, we, exactly. we kind of mentioned earlier that that transparency, I think, is something everybody craves especially in today's day and age where we're constantly bombarded with information, you know, the, the cell phones that we have now, <laughs> every second yeah. you can get some, some kind of new information. So I think people crave, you know, that human connection, the, you know, no longer 
is there that trapping of like here here's this brick government wall you can't see through it's like hey we're real people exactly we're, we're here we're working we're trying to help that, uh, that's, that's, that's and thing. i tell you i i have said um to my staff and to my and my bosses repeatedly that one of the main tasks i have is to humanize our agency so that people know that they, you know there's caring people here that come to work every day because they care about what they do and they have families and you know and lives and you know and they're real people and you know we're not just you know bland bureaucrats sitting behind a desk that don't care about anything you know and that's, that's right and it's funny yeah it's funny too cuz like in my industry you know financial advising and planning we talk about how the nowadays the vast majority of people aren't looking for the you know suit and tie and the the big brick yeah. building and you know all those trappings anymore they they want real people you know, and, right, it, and it's funny because right. one of the, my mentors, the, the way he dresses on a daily basis and he jokes about it, is he, he's in down in North Carolina and he wears shorts and a, a nice polo, you know, nice polo, nice shorts and sandals. <laughs> and sometimes he even walks around his office in bare feet. <laughs> and, and, you know, he's like, hey, what you see is what you get. You, you got well, a real person here that's here to help you and serve. But absolutely, you, as you that, said, you can go down to uh, the the big block store down the street. <laughs> that's right. Well, and as you said, that's that's authenticity. That the, these are real people. That doesn't mean they're any less skilled at what they do, but they're more authentic. And I think I think you're absolutely right. People are drawn to that authenticity and that that humanity. You know. Yeah, I absolutely love it. Well, I do want to wrap things up a little bit here, so I got two more questions for you that I ask everybody that comes on the show. So the first one is, what are you curious about? Oh, I love that question. I, I am curious about so many things. I mean, I love, I love to read. I love your industry. I'm really curious about um, entrepreneurship, finances, investing. I, you know, I love all that stuff. Um, I, I can't, you know, read enough about that kind of stuff. I, I love watching the stock market. I love watching the, the business world. Um, so I'm, I'm very curious about that. I'm curious about um, arts and humanities too, though. I mean, I, I'm a huge music fan. I'm, I'm curious, you know, what what the long-term impact of COVID is going to be on the entertainment world and the, and the the music world and the literature world, um, you know, that kind of thing. And I'm curious about what the what the future. What's what's the next Facebook going to be? What's the future of social media? Where how is it going to diverge in the future? Yeah, is it TikTok? <laughs> Exactly. Nobody knows exactly. Right. <laughs> I know TikTok's been huge, but we'll we'll see what happens. That right. is that is a curious question there. I like that one. Um but what is uh the next question was what questions should I have asked you that I didn't think to ask? <laughs> well, I tell you, the one question that I often get asked is why roundabouts? <laughs> I don't know if you're familiar with roundabouts or not. In, in other parts of the country, they're probably more familiar. Oh, I love roundabouts. I absolutely I'm love glad roundabouts to hear that. I'm the, I'm the guy who, who drives up and then just slips right through, and nobody even knows I was there. <laughs> Beautiful. And and that's that's the goal. And and the reason we're, we have the highest concentration of them in Michigan here in Oakland County, and we love them. And the reason we love them is twofold. Number one, they're one of the safest things we can do. We we have reduced traffic fatalities at intersections that we've converted from traffic signals to roundabouts by about 90%. And there's wow. really, you know, virtually nothing else we can do that reduces fatality rates by 90%. But also, I didn't know that. That's, an, that's amazing. 
Well, if you think about it, in, in urbanized areas like Oakland County, people, when there's accidents at intersections, the way people die is either one of two ways, either a head-on collision or they get T-boned. They're turning left and they get broadsided, right? And you know, mm-hmm. we, we study the crash data, and that's that's how people die. With a roundabout, you're pretty much physically making it impossible for either of those types of crashes to occur. So without those, you might have fender benders, you might have side swipes or, you know, slow slow speed rear end collisions, but they're going to be property damage crashes. They're not going to be serious injuries or fatalities, and that's what the what the data showed us. Yeah, I, also, I think the only the only other way that it could happen is the, the, the random person that falls asleep at the wheel or they're or they uh, get behind the wheel when they've been drinking and they shouldn't have, and they just go straight through that roundabout. <laughs> right, right. Yep, yep. And that it, it, we've had a few of those, but they they have not led to uh, most cases serious injury crashes. So they've just you know, gone through and you know, damaged their car, I'm sure. But uh, so we we, right. we get a lot of you know those people either love them or hate them, and um, you're going to see a lot more of them. I'm I'm sure not only in Oakland County, but the rest of the country as well. Cool. I, I'm a big fan of the roundabout myself. So, uh, you know, bring, bring them on. <laughs> <laughs> Glad to hear it. Well, Craig, I, I really appreciate you coming on the show today. Uh, it's been a very interesting conversation and I really did enjoy it. I like shedding light into something that most people never talk about or even really think about. And so having somebody like you on has been really a, a pleasure. Well, thank you, Sean. It's been, it's been great. It's been a real honor. I, I really, really, appreciate and have a lot of respect for what you do with the podcast. I, the, the the episodes I've listened to have been amazing, very informative, very entertaining, good good stuff. So I, I appreciate what you do. Well, thank you. I appreciate the compliment. And if people want to learn more about you and, of course, the uh, Road Commission, where can they go? Uh, we can go to the Road Commission website, which is www.rcocweb.org rcocweb.org or look us, look for us on uh, social media, uh, Road Commission for Oakland County. Um, and uh, you can either reach me through there or learn about me and the Road Commission through those sources. Awesome. And of course, we'll have a link in the uh, show notes to the Road Commission's uh, website and social media as well. But Craig, thanks again for being on the show. This has been another episode of the Safe and Sound podcast with Sean Sparkman, your host. Uh, I love bringing people from all different walks of life so that you guys as listeners can really learn and grow and build your own safe and sound lifestyle is what I call it because it's a way to live a life that where you know you are safe to be adventurous and explore and just get more out of life. So thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to Safe and Sound Radio with Sean Sparkman. Sean Sparkman. If you have questions or would like to suggest a topic for future shows, contact Sean at 313-246-9278 or visit the website at www.safeandsoundretirement.net. That's www.safeandsoundretirement.net. I must leave.